This is a CBC Podcast. If people from outside Edmonton know one thing about the city, it's that Edmonton has a giant mall. West Edmonton Mall is the biggest in Canada, one of the biggest in all of North America. And with its two hotels and its pool and its roller coaster, it's a legitimate tourist attraction. But once you actually arrive in Edmonton, the thing most locals will tell you about is the River Valley. The North Saskatchewan River is surrounded by a forested area 10 times the size of Vancouver's Stanley Park, which also makes it a hell of a lot bigger than the mall. The river runs through the middle of the city. It's beautiful, and people are proud of it. It's also tangible proof that Edmonton isn't just, as the late great Alex Trebek once put it on Jeopardy, a petroleum and meatpacking city. The river valley is great for walking, biking, or fishing, but not many people actually go in or on the river. There aren't that many beaches, and there's only a couple of boat launches. Plus, it freezes over for a good chunk of the year. So most people admire it from the shore, or the bridges, or the road. Which means the North Saskatchewan River has secrets. Undiscovered secrets from Edmonton's past, which can only be discovered by those who take to the water. I'm AC Rowe, and this is The Dock Project. Today, the story of what happened when a canoeing enthusiast took his reluctant buddy out for a paddle and ended up discovering a giant chunk of history. Heads up, there is some language in this story, specifically some enthusiastic cussing. It has been beeped. To hear the full, uncut version, head over to the Doc Project website. CBC Edmonton's Ariel Fournier will take it from here. But first, let's get out on the river with Mike Lees. That's yeah, perfect. <laughs> I enjoy, instead of a night out on the town, a night out, like, a Friday evening, nice, relaxing way for me to spend that is to come down the river in the canoe. Like, to unwind, to sit here. This is the best. So Mike started paddling when he moved to Ottawa for university. And when he moved back to Alberta, he decided to keep it up. He's a guy who... Well, he describes himself as having his feet stuck in the mud. Not like stick in the mud, but stuck in the mud. Sometimes literally. He's always outside. He frames houses for a living. And when he's not doing that, he's in nature. With his family, or just out on his own. Like, like, look, there's no one else out here right now. It's just us. There's nobody else that's using this waterway. It's just like, I don't know, I just find it's a gem. He wishes more people in Edmonton appreciated what we have. So whenever he can, he brings a friend. Last October, it was his buddy Jeff Penny. Born and raised here and never canoed down the river. Jeff and Mike are friends through their kids' hockey. They'd never been paddling together before. Canoeing wasn't really Jeff's thing. So when Mike asked him to come along for the first time, he wasn't sure. It was like 5 o'clock at night. And I really, honestly, didn't even want to go. I was, like, tired. I was like, oh, man. Jeff's a plumber. He has long days at work. So the last thing he wants to do is get up and go canoeing down a river that nobody really canoes on. Nobody except Mike, that is. 
But as I later found out, when Jeff decides to do something, he does not back out. So that's how this adventure starts. Mike and Jeff's trip on the river. Started paddling. <laughs> They're paddling along for about an hour. We had uh, a couple of beverages. And yeah, maybe they're having a couple of beers too. And then I had to go pee, so we stopped. And this isn't a, we'll pull over at the next gas station situation. Jeff has to go now. And Mike looks for the closest place. Being an emergency that it was, we pulled over at a fairly inopportune location. Sheer cliff and hill, there's not really much spot to be walking and wandering. There's certainly no paths. So both the guys get out. And then Mike says something that was just plain weird considering what happened next. He, strangely enough, said, as we were pulling up to the bank, and it's no word of a lie, he said, watch, we're going to find a fossil. Because Mike's that type of dude. He's a very outdoorsy type guy, and he's always into that kind of science stuff. And he gets on the bank, and he's looking at this little, like, crustacean-type shell. I found the skeleton of a crayfish, and uh, there's lots of crayfish in North Saskatchewan. Jeff had never seen this before, and he found that to be quite fascinating. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. And I go to jump back in, he's like, oh my god, look at this, look at this. So, yeah, I wouldn't have known what the heck it was. That's when I grabbed my phone, and I basically got it on video. Never seen this before. And I more or less was standing at the time on top of the fossil. The thing they're standing over, it looks like a tree stump, with bark and roots the whole bit. The only difference is it's not wood, at least not anymore. It's completely turned to stone. It's a petrified stump from a huge, old-growth tree. I'd need three of me to wrap my arms around the base of it. This is a tree, dude. And the guys, they lose their minds. stone. It's a fossilized tree, man. Look at, look at these layers. Look at how there's rings, just like in the tree, man. This is bark. This is bark. This has probably been under forever and ever and ever, hey? Nito, Cabido, gang. Can we take it home. Huh? <laughs> Let's take it home. I'm coming back. Oh we? They were in the middle of the city. You can see skyscrapers from downtown directly across the water. But even though the stump is in a city park, it doesn't belong to the city. This is technically crown land since it's so close to the shoreline. The stump could be theirs if they want it, though they'll soon find out it's not really that simple. And this discovery, it's rare. There's only a few other pieces of this kind of petrified wood this big in museums anywhere in the world. Mike and Jeff didn't know that at the time, but they figured they had something. They take some more photos, drop a pin in Google Maps to mark the site, and hurry home to review their footage. And in the clear, sober light, it still seems pretty exciting. They really want more people to see this. So they send pictures of it to the University of Alberta. I've never seen anything this big come out of our valley since I've been working here, and that's over 10 years. This is Lisa Budney. She's the curator at the University of Alberta's Paleontology Museum and was part of the team of researchers who Jeff and Mike first sent their footage to. 
something unique to, um, to our River Valley, so it's quite meaningful to me. I grew up east of Edmonton, so I have an interest in the city and the surrounding area, so it, it's a meaningful object to me as well, personally. So she sends the photos to the Royal Tyrell Museum in Drumheller, Alberta, where some of the world's leading experts in paleontology are. A researcher there calls up Jeff after looking at the photos and tells him, this really could be big. He called me and he goes, Jeff, do you realize what you have? Like what you found? And I was like, no, not really. I was like thinking it was like 2 million years old. He goes, Jeff, it's estimated probably around 65 million years old. From Mike and Jeff's photos, the researchers use their understanding of this rock and their knowledge about the geology of the Edmonton area to estimate the stump is somewhere between 65 million to 75 million years old. It's from the Cretaceous period when the northern part of Canada was a small continent of its own. 70 million years ago, Edmonton was a muggy swamp, not a hockey town or a petroleum and meatpacking town for that matter. There was a seaway running through what we now know as Alberta, and our tree, a conifer, was growing on its muddy banks. Dinosaurs would have lumbered by, maybe stopping to snack on some of the ferns at the base of the tree. It tickled a kind of childlike wonder for Mike. And they found fern spores all over the tree stump, so... It reminds me of, you know, when I was a little kid watching the movie Fern Gully. <laughs> to know that I found a tree that, um, you know, possibly the dinosaurs were eating from, that's pretty neat, you know. <laughs> this is a rare, lingering piece of evidence from that time. I just find it absolutely fascinating, you know, that once upon a time we were a Mediterranean inland ocean here in Alberta. And... Uh, to think that we've gone from that to uh, eight months of hockey is uh, a wild swing. <laughs> so I just, I find it very fascinating. Alberta is a prime location for finding fossils. It's one of the few places in Canada where the sediment from the Cretaceous period is still exposed. But to find a tree this size and to find it in the middle of a city, that's a diamond in the rough. So Mike and Jeff decide whatever it takes, they are going to rescue this stump. Get it out of the woods and into a museum. But then the big question is, how to make that happen? At first, Lisa and the researchers at the Royal Tyrell think that the tree has stayed in its original place all these millions of years, which would be amazing. If it hasn't moved at all, there's more of a chance of understanding the environment around the stump and the world it came from. The bad news for Mike and Jeff is that that means they would have to leave it where it is. Basically, we weren't allowed to touch it because he believed it was in the original stratigraphic position. So we're basically just like counting our losses. We're like, okay, well, maybe we can't even do this. They can't issue a permit unless you're a paleontologist and that sort of thing. The paleontologists consider moving it. But getting this thing out would be really tough and expensive. And without a clear research objective, there's no funding for this. Lisa talked about the options with the paleobotanist at the university. First of all, I'm too old to go and wrestle with a stump in the Viva Valley. That's Eva Koppelhus, 
the paleobotanist. Yeah, Lisa and I, we, we briefly talked about uh, trying, but then we both became like aware that it was, it was way too much for the two of us to even think about it. And then also you, you do have to have a very stable uh, boat uh, to uh, help take this out. And uh, in our program, we only had a canoe. <laughs> and that, I don't think it would have done it very well. Yeah, so the university eventually ruled out going after the stump. So if the researchers can't get it, they take a closer look at the pictures to see if Mike and Jeff can. And this time, they notice in the last picture, there are actually signs it has moved which means the province will give Jeff and Mike permission to move this thing, as long as they clear their plans for removing it with the province. Now the guys are excited all over again. They still want the world to know about their stump. So they decided they were going to have to get it out themselves. And they don't have a lot of time. It's mid-November. It's been more than a month since they first found that stump. Here's Jeff. I knew that it wasn't going to last the winter with the ice and the high rivers in the spring and that sort of thing. So whatever was down there this last season is now no longer exposed, probably, based on the erosion that happens each year. And that's why Jeff was so adamant that we get it, like, before the snow flew. In the spring, the bank would likely wash away when the river thaws, and the stump would fall into the river and be lost forever. So it's go time. Mike and Jeff have unconventional reconnaissance techniques. It's about a two or three hour paddle round trip to get back to the stump, which is not exactly convenient if you're trying to plan a homemade archaeological dig. But leave it to a plumber and a house framer to get crafty with solutions. Okay, so basically what happened was I, I set a pin when we were there after we found it. So a couple weeks after they first find the stump, Jeff is doing a plumbing job nearby. And I was doing a job there. He looks at the map on his phone. Clicked on the pin. And sees the marker he left for the stump's location is not far from his job site. It was probably about 200 meters from where I was. And I'm like... Maybe he can reach the stump from the shore. After work, he starts trekking through the woods towards that pin on his map. So I'm like following my phone and getting closer to his pin. I'm getting closer. And I look down and I kid you not, I can see it. There's a stump at the bottom of a steep and muddy cliff bank. Not a place that you can just walk to. But Jeff and Mike, they are problem solvers. And as Mike would say, they're gamers. They're up for anything. So I called Mike. Who at the moment is on a date with his wife. I'm like, I could see this thing from the riverbank. We can get there. All we got to do is get down 100 feet from from the cliff. And he's like, okay. And Christina basically just said, yep, go. Go with Jeff, go have fun, go on your little adventures. So Mike basically dropped everything. We went down, had a look, reassessed it. And for posterity again, they document the whole thing with video on their phones. We found a way down the river, river bank. So we are going to use that extension cord to rappel down cowboy style with these shovels. See what we can find. If you didn't catch that, Jeff said extension cords to rappel down cowboy style. They worked with the gear they had in their trunk. And with the extension cord tied around their waist, they rappel down a hundred feet and go see that stump. It was so weird. There was nobody on the river. It was so quiet. There was like an eagle flying over our head. It was it was just amazing experience. And bingo, there it is. 
just like they remembered a massive tree stump turned to stone. We, we got hyped up again, like we're going to get this thing. There's nothing stopping us now from actually getting this thing. But it's getting dark, so they go home and start scheming. The guys weigh their options. Bushwhacking and rappelling down that cliff and then up again with the rock? Yeah, that's just not going to happen. So ultimately, they decide accessing the stump from the river is their best bet. They're going to need to go in by boat. But Jeff only has a canoe. Luckily, they have friends. Friends with bigger boats. So we called a buddy of ours that had a boat. And he uses this boat for hunting. And he said that he can put a full moose in this thing. So we're like, oh, well. It can handle a moose. Why not a petrified stump? But as Mike says... The first time was a major fail. Yeah. They try lifting it into the boat with the help of a few buddies. But it won't budge. Turns out the stump is heavier than a moose. So they all get back in the hunting boat and head home empty-handed. And come up with a new strategy. We came up with a plan to build a barge. Uh, basically build a barge out of 50-gallon drums and so on. And we attempted to do that. Did not work. They weren't sure how much the stump weighed. It could be 800, 1,000 pounds. They take a look at their barge and think it might not hold the weight of the stump. As it could have ended up in the bottom of the river. So they abandoned that idea too. We tried everything. We tried calling... The local fire brigade and... The fire department politely declined. By this time, we're brushing snow off of it. We didn't really know what to do. That's when Mike starts to think it might not happen. It's, it was a question of, like, how much time and effort does one really want to put into removing this, you know, object. And, and I know for one, like, for sure, Jeff was feeling a lot more ambitious than I was. Jeff is a man on a mission. Yeah, I would just, I don't think I could have actually, it would have bothered me forever. Like if I would have just left it there and let it go down river and I don't think I would have ever forgot it. So they soldier on. A friend of Jeff's has another idea. Find a company who does heavy work on the river and see if they can move an 800 or whatever pound petrified stump. And they find Bill. If it's on, in or around the water, uh, we do it. That's Bill Stark. He's a marine operations manager. He's done a lot of messy jobs. He's even helped paleontologists move rare finds before. But this request, it's unusual. Usually when somebody's picking something up, it's a man-made problem. Somebody's dropped a truck through the ice. People go out and sink boats. Things often need to get lifted or fixed. It's not uh, somebody lost a rock. <laughs> Once they explained what, what they actually had, and the situation, um, it became more intriguing. I didn't know him from a bar of soap. I had no idea who he was or where, what he was capable of doing. So I was like, well, am I really going to give this guy the location of this thing? Anyway, I had to basically trust him. They're running out of time, so Jeff decides to go for it. Ice is starting to form on the river, and it might be too late for the season. The boat they need to move the stump can't run its engine if there's any chance large ice chunks could get sucked into it. This is our basically our last resort. And he had uh, the perfect boat to do it, to actually collect this thing. Uh, it was a flat bottom, almost like a barge. The front end drops down like an old World War II landing craft. So you can just winch it on. A winch is like a big mechanical lasso. The back of the boat opens up and the winch drags it on. 
a lot better than a bunch of dudes struggling to lift this thing. Bill basically was going to give me an hour's notice if, if the river conditions were right and I meet him at the 50th Street boat launch with the materials that he needed. So one day in November, when the conditions are perfect, Jeff gets the call. Well, perfect for November in Edmonton. Like, I, as soon as I pulled up, they're on the riverbank chipping the ice off of the boat launch so that they can actually get the boat in there. So I'm like, okay, well, this isn't going to happen. Mike couldn't make it that day, so Jeff brought a friend to help him with the wrangling. Meanwhile, I got estimates on the cost, right? So the the meter's ticking. So uh, it, it was very expensive. So I'm like, okay, well, guys, let's let's just get this ice off and see if we can get it on there, you know, trying to stay positive and get them motivated to actually do this. Then Jeff hops in his car and heads over to rappel down the bank again so he can show the crew where to land. I look down and probably 10 feet from the bank all the way down is ice. So there was no way that they were going to be able to pull up to the bank to actually collect this thing. So I'm like, oh my God, I just wasted how much money, how much time. Then his friend who's there says, hold on. We can break through this ice. Don't give up. He takes a crowbar into the frozen river and starts hacking away at the ice. And somehow that works. And we snapped off a chunk. It was huge. It was probably 25 feet long and 10 feet from the bank. Snapped it off and it came off in one big piece and the river swept it away. Like it was, honest to God, it was unreal. It was like the hand of God moved that ice for us. I'm telling you, it was the weirdest thing. But then an hour goes by, and the boat is still not there. And Bill is not picking up his phone. Jeff starts to wonder if it's coming at all. But then, there they are. And things happen fast. They tie a strap around the base of the trunk and drag it towards the boat. And then minutes later, they're back on the river, ready to take the stump to its new home. No sweat. Okay, some sweat. I think that was the last uh, actual boating work we did uh, in, in 2019. I think it was a little bit of the adrenaline of just finding it and trying the challenge to get it out of there and to actually make it work. Jeff watches the rock float safely down the river, moving from its resting place for the past... 65 to 75 million years. Jeff calls the museum and brings it in. It's cheap labor right here. Now it's on display, in the middle of the small room, still sitting on the wooden pallets they dragged it in on. At around 800 pounds, they won't be moving it anytime soon. But in a way, for Lisa Budney, the curator of the museum, it's not the discovery, but the discoverers that are the most impressive. You know, you said you've, you've met others, people who have, who have brought in things. I mean, I guess, have you ever met anyone like Mike and Jeff? Uh, no. <laughs> Mike and Jeff are quite unique characters. Um, their willingness to go the extra mile is exceptional. I've never encountered two people that were so enthusiastic about um, their find, but also their, um, 
their willingness and acceptance of going through the proper channels in order to make sure they're collecting things properly. And um, so that makes them a great citizen scientists and um, I'd be happy to work with people like them again. Eva Koppel, who studied it more closely. She took core samples to figure out what species of tree it was. She also looked at the surface of the rock to figure out what vegetation was growing around it. But she also marveled at these two guys. Pretty impressed because after the first couple of times where I had been speaking with Lisa Botney about this find, I, I was thinking that it was, uh, it was impossible. I, I just knew that I could not do it, but they were persistent. The benefit was that the, the little Paleo Museum got a very nice display made on this and some awareness and some education for younger people and the general public. And I think it was, it was awesome. I guess the way that I view anything in life is if it's, there's an obstacle in, in my mind, there's always ways around or over the obstacle. Um, and so that's always the adventure and that's always the adventure of anything. Like I'll be satisfied for a long time knowing that people are going to be able to appreciate this thing long beyond my life. <laughs> like this thing's going to be around well past my existence. So, For Jeff, that was the whole point. Seeing it in a museum made everything worth it. It, it's everything we actually wanted to come from this, so like, you know what I mean? And it, it's, a, it's a piece of the puzzle type thing. You know, people always want to know the value of things. And I believe that the value of certain things are not something you can easily make up in amount of money. It, it is something else that has the value. The value of that stump to those two guys is not something you can make into money. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Everybody in Alberta, it's their heritage, it's their uh, fossils, and, and I think it's great when people get reminded about what they have in their backyard. That's it. Allowing ourselves to be bowled over by the beauty and the history of the natural world we live in as Canadians. It can inspire us in ways you can't predict. That's what I admire about Mike and Jeff. They saw an opportunity and they took it. And they let themselves get lost in the wonder of this thing. That doc was produced by Ariel Fournier. It was edited and mixed by Julia Poggle and originally aired in January of 2021. That's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Tanara McLean, Julia Poggle, and me. Althea Manassen is our digital producer, and our senior producer is Allison Cook. I'm Missy Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.